Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about co-design. We're talking about working on a game with somebody else. What does that look like? How do you figure the conflicts out? How do you split the money? All those good and wonderful things. We're talking to Jason Mowry and Chase Williams, co-designers of a game coming out called The Big Score. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, man, I'm excited. So you guys work together on this game. Is this the first game you've gotten published that you've been working together? That's correct. Very cool. And so I'm excited to hear more about that game. But first of all, who are you? How'd you get into games? In case people never heard of you, what's your bio? Yeah, so uh, so this is Chase Williams. Um, I have been playing games, obviously, since I was a child. Um, everything from Kerplunk to uh, the Ninja Turtles board game as a child. Uh, growing up, took a, a break from the hobby through, through high school and college, and then dove back into it pretty heavy uh, five or six years ago. Met some local guys, got into a, got into a group, found out that there's this amazing community and this uh, amazing hobby out there. Fast forward a couple of years, now I'm sitting here with with one of my best friends designing games. Couldn't ask for uh, much more. Yeah, this is Jason Mowry. Um, I've been playing games since I was a kid as well. You know, your your mass market stuff when I was really little. And then I had kind of a unique experience when I was in uh, grade school. I had an, an art and music teacher who was a board gamer. And he had an like an after school sort of program called Mystery Club. And Mystery Club is one of the coolest things I've ever done uh, in my life. I, to this day, I appreciate the work that he put into Mystery Club. And it was basically sort of a board game, you know, club. But there was also we, we would do like parties and outings and like lock ins at the school. And they were always centered around games. And he was a big Sherlock Holmes fan. So we were playing, you know, consulting detective and all that kind of stuff. And that sort of led into discovering the the gamer market i remember like uh dungeon quest back in the day you know and it sort of it sort of opened my eyes to these other games uh and then i played a lot of chess i was in chess club and all that kind of stuff and cut to you know years and years later uh i met aj porfirio of van rider games uh actually met him on craigslist when i sold him a game and we were like hey uh we you know he, he was like we should probably we should probably play some games and so we started to play games, and you know, I think a year later, I met Chase, and so yeah, here we are. Very cool. And so, were you guys already designing games before you became friends, or like, how did that happen? No, it's uh, it's actually a funny story. Um, we were on an escalator at Gen Con <laughs> about I don't know five years, four or five years ago, and we were riding down the escalator, and I I looked back at Jason and AJ. It was just the three of us that were there that year, and I said there needs to be an Ocean's Eleven, the board game. And we, we sort of spat out some ideas there on the escalator and, and, and over a meal, and we dropped it until the ride home. And then the ride home, we ended up with pages and pages of notes on what Ocean's Eleven, the board game, would look like. That idea sort of fizzled out uh, a couple of weeks after we got home from Gen Con until Jason decided that he was not done with that project. And he kept sort of pushing, we got to finish it, we got to finish it. And with his busy schedule being a musician, um, it was tough to find time to sit down with him and actually go through that process. And so when he would be in town, we'd talk about it. And then we we decided, based on his pushiness, we got to finish this thing. So he and mm-hmm. I sat down and here we are. We, we got it done and we're, we got a product that we're really happy with. Yeah. And it got picked up by a publisher, which is really cool. And so you guys have been able to work together and, and get this thing done. I want, I want to talk about the kind of that accountability and the, and the positive, you know, the pro of having a co-designer in just a second. But first of all, tell me your process. How do you guys work together? What does it look like for you to work together on a game design? Well, let's see. We, our process, we, I, we, we tend to sort of uh, go through the sort of sp- the spitball part of the thing where we're, we just, we throw around like really loose concepts and just to make sure that from like a top-down process that we're, we're on the same page, you know, it's like, hey, do you see this being a game that plays five players? Because if you don't, I need to know that because that 
that's going to affect what we go after because obviously not every game can play every player count and that can go for you know a, a whole bunch of different you know aspects of game design it's like let's get on the on the page on the same page first and make sure that we understand where we're coming from and then we can go into the next level deeper and then starting to get into the minutia of mechanics and stuff like that so yeah there's there's this like time there, there's a there's a period where we just sort of throw everything at the wall and throw out a lot of bad ideas and you know you have to put your ego aside and, and be able to go oh yeah that, that sucks sorry you know and yeah. uh yeah we go from there yeah there's there's um we you know jason has this this term and, and people say it all the time but he throws stuff at a wall yeah. and and jason's really good at that he he has i am not a creative person i'm a i'm a logical person so i'm a you know i'm an it guy by by trade and and so i'm a i'm logical and and so he will he will just throw out this just slew of ideas and and i will i will no no maybe yes no through the list um and and we've sort of worked out over time sort of how to handle that you know when when we sort of agree to disagree or agree to table something for later but it, it, the process really comes down to what are we trying to accomplish um fun is the goal fun. Um, if it's if it's not going to be fun we're wasting everyone's time right. yep. and so we we, when we say Ocean's Eleven, the board game, right? When we when we started that process, the idea was, what's fun about that? And it, it's the suspense and it's the excitement of of this this dangerous criminal activity that that could land you in jail or could land you a ton of money. And so we we started at that at that that high level, and then we worked out what would be fun about doing those things. And that's when you start bringing in mechanics. And so we say, well, in order to go execute this activity, you have to have a bunch of money. Well, how are we going to get that money? Well, we're going to have to pull off small heists. And so you naturally sort of develop the mechanics based on the actions the players are going to be taking when they're playing the game. What do we want them to feel? And then how do we make those feelings come about through precisely? Yeah. And so what, 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 how it typically works out is Jason is a, is, is, you know, as a musician, he's highly creative. He's got just a knack for, story and and theme and those kinds of elements and and i don't i don't have any of that and so he will bring it and say we really need to have this happen how do we do that mechanically um but then what typically happens is i will come up with an idea and he massages it and he 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 sort of says well that's not going to be fun or well that won't work with two players whereas it might work with three or more and so we end up making changes sort of along the way and that's all done through text message, email and face to face and phone calls and FaceTime and anything we can at two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. we have ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And now do you guys have anything like a, as far as a schedule, you know, every week on this day, we're going to get together and play test. We're going to get together and talk about where the game is at. Anything like that. It, it typically works out where, so our game group meets, um, the plan is twice a week. Um, but with, with the competing schedules, we end up luckily, or uh, we end up being lucky to hit one of those. So what ends up happening is, is if if Jason and I are going to be the only two in attendance, we switch it to a design night, mm. and we just sort of make an adjustment. If more than two are going to be there, we play games. But the bulk of our design and conversation is done remotely, um, text message, email, phone call. We we you know the 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 new design we're working on right now. We designed seventy percent of that game. Via through, text, through text and phone call. <laughs> We've probably in the you know the first game, the big score. I mean, it's probably three thousand texts back yeah. and forth. Just that's the beauty of you know, stopped. like as soon as you get an idea in your mind, you're like, oh man, that's an interesting little uh, twist on a mechanism, whatever. Du-du-du-du, you know, and shoot when, it to and Chase you, and see what he thinks. When and, we get to the conflict portion of the show, <laughs> we'll talk about how that relationship and communication has evolved right. as we've gone through. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and sort of how we do all that stuff. But, but yeah, we, we try to, we try to fit it in as much as we can, but, but schedules and, and family time, uh, inhibit that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a, what a lot of designers, especially, uh, designers that are just starting out and really just trying to figure out what does it look like to schedule time and how do I figure that out? It's something they really struggle with is, is managing the time aspect of things. Yeah. Now, do you, you guys use any other technology to keep track of assets or art or prototypes or anything like that? Like I know some co-designers use a, a forum or, you know, use Dropbox or whatever. Do you guys use any, anything like that? 
Yeah, we use we use Dropbox a lot, and you know, I'm I'm working on art things in Photoshop, and and he's he's also working on some art things in Photoshop, but also, you know, spreadsheeting out uh, a lot of like uh, you know math behind the scenes and looking at balance and things like that. And so, we're we're pretty tech savvy, so we we definitely are you know shooting things back and forth, uh, Dropbox and emailing all sorts of you know readouts and you know stuff like that. Yeah, gotcha. And I think one of the advantages you guys have that, you know, I've talked to a lot of co-designers that live in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Yeah. They have to do everything remotely, whereas you guys can kind of get together in the same room every now and then and and work together. Would you say that how much how much of the work gets done face to face, though, versus remotely? That's funny. I think we've probably got more done via just online. It is. I would say it's probably it's probably 70, 30 or 60, 40. Wow. Um, what, what we typically do is we will do, you know, two weeks of back and forth through email and et cetera. And then we will either have a five or six hour night or the occasional all day, uh, event where, you know, he brings a box of components and, and, and all rules revisions and we've got new art and we, we print stuff out on the, on the fly and sort of go with what we've got. Um, but it is, it is for the most part, all handled. It, it, it's funny, I guess, since we are so close that we still have to do it remotely. Yeah. I mean, he travels all the time, so we don't really have a, a choice in most cases. But when he, even when he's here, we still handle a lot of that remotely. Yeah, we just tinker and tinker and tinker and tinker through texting and and you know FaceTime and stuff like that. And then it's like we finally puke it all out onto uh, you know the table one Saturday or whatever to see how it all what it feels like, how it plays, blah, blah, blah. And then we just, we walk away with it going, all right, we have some things we want to accomplish now. And then we go back to that, you know, well, yeah, it's, and I guess that's, a, that's a good way to describe it. We don't meet face to face when we don't feel like we're at a point where we're ready to sit down and, and actually lay it on the table and look at it. There, there, there's there, the, the conceptual idea phase of, of sort of designing anything um, is, is not been handled face to face. That is completely all done remotely just cause it, it takes so much time and yeah. I'm not the kind of guy that thinks well when someone's staring at me and saying, Hey, come up with an idea for this thing. And, and quite frankly, our sleep schedules don't even align. Yeah. You know, a lot of Jason's ideas come to him at three o'clock in the morning. So and, guess who gets a text at three in the morning? I, I, <laughs> so I, I wake here. up in the morning and I've got this idea that says, Ooh, how, how about we handle, you know, combat like this? And and I I'm texting him back on my way to work that morning, going, okay, that sounds cool. Let's talk about it later. Yeah. Um. So it's yeah. It it the 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 concept and the sort of the intellectual part of just thinking and being creative is all done sort of singular. Yeah. You never know when you're going to get a good idea. So when you get a good idea, when you know he's at work or I'm working or traveling or whatever, it's good to just be like. That, that's Send actually, it over right away and let's start knocking it back and forth and, and yeah. kind of molding it before we even get it to the table. Right. For, for anyone out there that's that wants to be a designer, let me make that recommendation. Anytime you have an idea, whether you think it is good or bad, immediately send it to, if you have a co-designer, send it to them. Yeah. If you don't, write it down. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had so many things that, that if we had said it and not sent it to the other person and we had forgotten it, if we didn't come back to it, it would have, you know, ultimately played a big part of the design being different. Um, you, you, and, and, you know, talking about conflict early on the throwing ideas at the wall thing that I talked about earlier, we didn't align with that. Right. I, I took that differently than Jason intended it. And so as we matured that relationship, I understand how valuable that process is to, to throw out everything because even if his idea, in my opinion, is bad, I may have a way to tweak it based on his idea mm-hmm. that actually turns into something that I had never even thought of. Yeah. Um, so you have to sort of have that just bleh, throw it out there. Yeah. There's no bad ideas. Which is very hard to do because, you know, we're all self-conscious. We're all human beings. And so to say something that, you know, you are not real sure of, but you just want to kind of get it out there. Yeah. Or even if, you know, I, you think the idea is great and then, you know, the response is, eh, I don't really like that. You have to you have to start to develop thick skin because right. that's being able to do that. That's what's going to get you to aha. Mm-hmm. We both like what we've what we've arrived at, and we yeah. would have never done that if we had not you know uh, put ego and pride aside. Yeah, definitely. Wow. I think it's so valuable. Even if you don't have a co-designer, just have somebody that you can 
tell and not even talk to, not even necessarily have a conversation, but just tell. Like, for instance, my wife, you know, I'll be at, at the dining room table and I'm working on something and I'll say, hey, come here. And she'll walk over and I'll say, let me tell you about this idea I just had. And early on in our marriage, she would look at me and go, are you, are, do you want something from me? Like, are you asking a question? Am I supposed to give you some input? And it's like, no, I just needed to tell somebody and, and you were the only person in the kitchen. So that worked yeah. out. You know, but just to have somebody to say, because there have been a number of times where I've said something to her and as I said it, I realized it was really dumb. I was like, wow, now that I've said that out loud and it's not just rolling around in my head, that's, that's never going to work. Okay, thank you. You know, <laughs> it's just so great to have, have anybody. Uh, and I know I agree. Yeah. A, a lot of people have, have mentioned that that's something they really struggle with. And so uh, it's just having that person. And maybe if you're listening to this, maybe a co-design is the way to go. And I wanna, you know, we want to really kind of build a big picture of what that looks like in this episode. But maybe co-design is the thing that will actually get you to that next level of getting things done. And so let's, let's kind of go into some pros and cons. One thing I've noticed between, about you two guys just in the short time we've been hanging out, you are very, very different. You, you know, even mm. like what you're, how you're dressed right now. Like you're, you're very different the way your brains think, you know, kind of the, the, the giftings and talents that you have. You guys fit together really well to make a great team. So I see that as a, yep. a tremendous pro. And so maybe talk a little bit more about that, how you guys kind of work together. And then let's talk about some more positives. Sure. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I I don't have a creative bone in my body. I am a I'm a Stefan Feld cube pushing. I would disagree that he he does not have any creativity. Well, I, he's I, I he's underselling himself. I'm a I'm I'm logical. I like games that are four hours long and have no art on them, and I get, <laughs> and I want a thousand points when they're over, you know. And I want to I'm interested in designing a game about trading uh, fabric in Honduras based on your comments earlier. <laughs> right. So you know, there's there that is sort of me. And so when you sit down and, and we're designing a game about, about heists or, or, or whatever your theme is, you know, I'm, I'm basically just sitting there staring at Jason going, okay, wh what's the creative idea that I need to design a mechanic for? Right. Um, and so the, 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 the co-design pro there is, is, and, and this is, this is sort of driven by the industry as well. The market is flooded with designer board games and that for every for every thousand that come out, you know, 10 of them are great mm -hmm. and the rest are, are mediocre or bad. The, the, the consumers demand a product that is, is something that they're go going to play more than once, that is going to be enjoyable, that they can share with their friends. And it's getting harder and harder to design that by yourself yeah. because I'm a Euro guy. He's a, he's a middle of the road kind of guy. He likes both and, I, and I'll play, yeah. I'll play any kind of game, but that's, that's sort of my go-to. So when we sit down to design something, I'm looking at it from a Euro perspective. He's looking at it from middle of the road, more on the Ameritrash side of things. And so it allows us to make sure we're designing something that isn't polarizing, mm -hmm. that, that can potentially appeal to, to all types of gamers. And then he really likes family games. I don't. I have kids, but, but my kids aren't old enough to play games, and I, I don't live close enough to family to play games. So he's looking at the, the viewpoint of... Could we play this game with my mother? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how how accessible is this game going to be? And so all of those things and just having someone to your point that's very different from you allows you to get totally different perspective on things. And, and you don't end up designing something in a bubble mm -hmm. that when you're done, you set it on the table and you say, great, if I walk this to 100 people at this convention, 10 of them are going to like it and the other 90 are going to hate it. Yeah. You know, if that's your thing and you want to design a game that's that's just for that niche market, okay. But if you want something that 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 might have the possibility of bringing more people into the hobby, you want to make something that is accessible and, and is is more appealing to the to the broadest group of people. You know, Jason talks all the time about about making decisions, and we well, if we change this, we're gonna we're gonna rule out these this group of people. You know, and and if we make this, we might get. 50 more people out there to like the game. And, mm -hmm. and I will typically respond, well, is it worth it? He goes, why wouldn't we? <laughs> why not get 50 more people to like the game if we can? If is, is there a downside to that? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a pro. I think just having someone that's different from you helps helps you be better at the process. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Jason, what would you say? What are some of the pros? Well, you know, we each have strengths and we each have weaknesses. And uh, it's for me, it's like, you know, Chase is so uh, adept at like the math behind the scenes and his ability to, you know, handle balance and probability and like everything that's like the, the gears, you know, 
behind the scenes. It's like I, I can just completely trust him in that. You know, we'll 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 get some mechanics happening together, and then uh, you know we'll start discovering that there's there's a lot of balance that needs to be done. We'll we'll create something that like our, the game that we're working on now is a intentionally a, a much bigger, heavier sort of epic kind of game, and there's a lot to balance and crunch through, and it's it's I would never be able to do that all of on my own. And so to have somebody like Chase who can just like, I mean, he can just nail that stuff. We're really good about compartmentalizing. Like Chase is awesome at that. So when he says, Hey, I looked at these numbers and I balanced this, this, this thing that we came up with, I can just, I know he's got it, you know? And when it comes to, uh, yeah, on the flip side, uh, there's, there's things that he, he relies on me for. So yeah. Well, and it- that, not to interrupt you, but that you made a really good point that I want to make sure anybody that's thinking about co-designing thinks about when they're when they're deciding whether or not they should design by themselves. Why would you, if you don't have to do it alone, why would you restrict yourself? So say you're not good at balance and say you're not good at probability or you're not good at coming up with creative thematic things. Why make the process more complicated and more stressful for you when that process is supposed to be fun? Yeah. There's not a board game designer out there that you you sit them down and you say, why do you do this? And they say, because it's laborious, it's stressful, it takes forever. I love making prototypes that take months to put together. No one says that. They say, I do it because it's fun, right? right? So if you're capable completely of doing all of those things, more power to you. If you're not, find somebody that can can sort of uh, offset your weaknesses so that you can spend your time and energy, which is all very limited, especially if you have another career, on the things that you are good at, yeah. you know, I mean, I, Jason will throw me stuff and he will say, balance this. And we don't talk about it again. And I will send him something and say, I need seven stories related to this topic. Mm-hmm. Go. And we don't come back together until those things are done. And we trust that they're, that they're what we want. Um, and, and so don't, don't, don't force yourself to have to be, to go through that process alone unless you absolutely have to. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like it's similar to a relationship like a marriage. You want to find somebody who fills your gaps, so to speak, who's good Correct. at the things you're not any good at. And even if it's not a co-design relationship specifically, you know, kind of fitty-fitty thing. Like, for instance, in Honduras, I have a, a good friend who is an incredible developer of games. He just has a really great mind for development, whereas my mind is more for design. And so I'll sit down, we'll, we'll play a, a, one of my games, and he asks really good questions that then mm-hmm. I can come up with answers to. He asks the sure. questions that I never think about. And so yeah. even just having somebody like that that can come alongside you and, and fill those gaps. And he's also colorblind, which is, you know, frustrating for him. But it's useful in my game design because I can be Absolutely. like, hey, uh, tell me about this. Does these colors matter? He's like, oh, no, you need to change that. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I can get his perspective on that. And that's something I could never do on my own. Lots of things I could never do on my own. Any other positives? Let's, let's, actually, let's talk about, like, accountability and kind of how, like, if one of you is, like, really frustrated or feeling down, the other one can kind of pick, the, pick you back up. Let's talk about that. Well, uh, we can talk about the stress of timelines. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, there's, you know, we have things that that are that are time sensitive, and there's things we work with the publisher on that are are sort of time sensitive, right? And and we we're uh, we're we're very committed people to to everything in in our lives. You know, we're both very committed to our family and our and our our significant others and our hobbies. You know, I, I spend a ton of time in the gaming community, whether it's conventions or you know, doing Kickstarter videos or whatever it is, there, there's always something going on. But so we're very committed. So when timelines come up, you know, we, we haven't really had a, an issue with conflict related to getting something done. If you want me to put that in quotes, right, just getting stuff done. We're very good about Jason will say, we got to have this done by this day. And I'll say, OK, I'm going to make that happen. And and he trusts that I'm going to get it done. And we, we haven't really failed each other yet. We've come close. Uh, I was 20 minutes late for this interview today because I was printing printing out art for yeah. for this this new prototype. But you know, there's there's there there's there's definitely accountability and a trust that that comes with any type of partnership. And, and just like you mentioned with the marriage, if you're gonna if you're gonna put something that 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 is, is you're passionate about, right? And we are both very passionate about this hobby. If you're going to pick somebody to do that with you. Make sure it's somebody you're willing to hold yourself accountable to right. and make sure that it's somebody that will hold you accountable for the stuff you commit to doing. 
Yeah, wow. equal amounts of drive is probably very important because we are both ambitious about this because we we have just come to love it and enjoy it so much. Like, I mean, I think we just can't wait to like get together again, try this new version of this thing, and see how it works, and you know, all this stuff. And uh, if if I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be working on you know this this part that I need to be working on, and I'm you know I'm gonna we're gonna have it done by next weekend, blah blah blah. And then the person, the other person on the other side of the fence is like shows up and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not, quite, not quite ready. Sorry. You know, then it, I think it's going it, to, it can be an imbalance that will bog the design process down and ultimately, you know, probably halt it if it's not like equal amounts of uh, passion to do it. So luckily we're both driven to just work on this any chance we get. So that's a, that's a big plus. Yeah. And I feel like working with somebody else, it kind of, like, you don't want to let them down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it kind of builds oh, yeah. the stakes up, so to speak. Like it really my, does, yeah. My friend that I was telling you about earlier, he's coming over this afternoon, and we're going to playtest the new version of the game I'm working on. And I knew he was coming, and so, like, last night, I was sitting here in, in my kitchen table working on new cards and all this stuff. Now, if it was just me, I might just go to bed and be like, I, I'll get it done on Monday. Yeah. But I knew he was coming. It's like, okay, I got to get this done because he, he's already planned on this. This is scheduled. This is, I don't want to waste yeah. his time. And so like, I don't want to yeah. let him down, so to speak. And I feel like that can really help move a game forward. Has that been y'all's experience? Absolutely. A- absolutely. We have such motivation to, you know, get it done. Get it done. Keep working on it because you know who the other guy is. Right. You don't want to be the guy that shows up and is like, yeah, I got nothing. Sorry. Yeah, it's all on you. The more the other person produces, right, the more you feel – you have to produce to counter that, you know. Yeah. He sends me 25 things in, in email and says, "Here, I'm done with all this." I go, "Oh no, I gotta, I gotta make sure I send him something back pretty quick that I was responsible for right. because, you know." And that, and that's just that's good. That's healthy. Yeah. Um, that's healthy to the accountability process. It's definitely a pro for for yeah. design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy that misses the block that would have got your 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 running that's back exactly into the into right. the end zone. You don't want to be that guy, and so. Absolutely. Yeah, you hope you hope that when you see you know your name and the, and you know my name and Chase's name on a on a box, you, we both look at it and go, we we definitely made that to you know fifty right. fifty. Right. You know that's that's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, let's look, let's move to the other side as we paint this big full picture. What does it look like to have conflict in this kind of relationship? Again, it could be similar to a marriage where you you know one of you wants one thing and somebody else wants the other, and you got to figure it out because that's, that's the only way it's going to work. So how do it's you guys? It's a nightmare. <laughs> it is awful. Yeah. Uh, how do you work through it, the conflict? It, it's so so the the. I want to talk. No. <laughs> Fine, you always talk. <laughs> no, no, it's it's. I'm going to go back to the to the comment I made earlier because this is the best example of sort of conflict and and this this. This talks about that maturity and healthy, healthy relationship. So, so early on in the process, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm sort of responsible for balance and, and sort of resolving conceptual ideas that Jason or I, either one will have about mechanics and, and how we want to tie things in the game together to make them fun. And so what would, nat- what would happen naturally is, is I would come to a conclusion and I would present it to him um, and he would be accepting of it and he would, he would go back and his first you know, response would be, sounds good. I'll, I'll think it over. It sounds like that'll work. And then we'd get together and we'd talk about it. And, and early on in the relationship, he would say, well, Hey, this thing that, that you came up with, what if we did it this way? And, you know, when, when we had not really addressed that or had that come up a lot, I took that as criticism and critique of the thing that I came up with mm-hmm. where that wasn't his intent. His intent was to say, I'm just throwing stuff at a wall. I'm literally just throwing out everything that comes to mind and it's perfectly okay for you to say, nope, I like my other thing better, mm-hmm. but I didn't take it that way. And so we ended up in a early on where there were a lot of conversations that never got had where I just sort of internalized that. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of culminated and, and it, it finally, it came to a head and, and we worked through it and we resolved it. So now that process is much better because two things happened. One, I learned to let him just have those creative, you know, just vomiting out idea moments. And I learned how to answer him without having to feel like I had to sugarcoat my response. He would say, what about this? I go, don't like it. <laughs> what about <laughs> this? That, no, That is totally fine with me. I, I, I appreciate, don't like it? Cool, moving on. <laughs> but, but when you don't have that conversation, one, he doesn't know how I'm taking his ideas. And I don't know how he's going to take me saying, don't like it. No, don't want that. Right. 
Um, and so you, you have to have those conversations. Right. Do not internalize that stuff. It's not a marriage. You know, it's it's your friend. And, and you've, you've got to have those moments where you just say, all right, here's what I'm thinking. You said this. How am I supposed to take that? Mm-hmm. Is it criticism of this or is it just another idea? Um, because if not, it'll 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 poison the environment and it'll actually inhibit you way more than than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think you have to, and again, it's, it's kind of how you mature and you learn each other just as you learn with any relationship. Now, how long have you been working on uh, the big score? So I, the idea was four years ago. Okay. It tabled for probably a year and a half to two years, and I'd say we've probably been two years throughout the whole process. Gotcha. So that's two years of lots of conversations, lots of potential conflict, lots of things you had to figure out and work through. And so tell me about like, how do you guys solve an issue? Like, let's say you have a a disagreement over something that matters, not, not necessarily like, Oh, I want this to be red. You want it to be blue. Who cares? But like a core mechanic or something like integral to the game that changes it, you know, based on whichever direction you go, how do you like work through that and figure out the best way to, to handle it? I try to think about, you know, when when we really get down to something where Chase is like, yes, and I'm like, no, I, I start to think about like, what level of that disagreement is it? Yeah. Are, are we at sort of like a, yeah, you know, I'd kind of like it to go this way. And he, he'd kind of like it to go that way. But ultimately, we're kind of fine either way. Or is it have, have we really had a lot of go arounds about this? Have we really like, you know, tinkered on this thing and worked, worked, worked different things and whatever. We get down to where like, I'm just like it. I feel very strongly that this is the wrong way to go. And he's like, uh, I, I, I want this in the game. So I think assessing where you're at in that, you know, the level of the conflict is pretty important because there's a time to go to the mat for something and there's a time to just let it be what it's going to be. And so I try to really pick and choose moments. If I'm going to say, Chase, I, I, I like, I really believe strongly that, that we need to do it this way. I think there, I I try to be, I try to monitor myself as as far as how many times I go to the mat for something. So if I, if I've had three or four mechanics where I've just been like, I like it the way, you know, I did it or whatever. And I really feel we need to keep that. If that's been happening, you know, uh, three or four times lately and, and nothing has gone his way, then that's going to be lopsided. And then we're just designing the thing that I want to do. Yeah. That's only going to be as good as if I had just done it myself. So we need, we need to stay, I need, I try to be aware of, of both of us getting something. Chase gets something, I get something. And it's a, it's a balance uh, of that. I don't know if I'm explaining that I, well, but no, it, I, it, I find, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I find it really funny that in his posing of the question to us, he said, is this red? Is this blue? Does it matter? There have been many conversations about whether something should be red or blue uh-huh. or for things even less significant uh-huh. than that in this process, uh, because all of those things come up. Uh-huh. And and as I mentioned earlier, you know, and Jason called it a curse, his his obsession with with quality and production value and standards. It's the curse of perfectionism. It's just a total curse. You, there have been conversations that, that a lot of people, if they walked in and had no idea what the background was and just said, what are y'all fighting about? Oh, we're, we're just having a healthy discussion about whether or not (laughs) this shade of green and that shade of green is more colorblind friendly than the other. Uh, you know, they, they may think we're out of our minds, but all of those things come up when you're designing something that's that's potentially mass market. Yeah. And and none of it is off the table. And yeah. all of it ends up having to be discussed. And if you have someone that's you know, we're both perfectionists, but I absolutely have to rein mine in mm-hmm. and sort of be the yin to his yang. Oh, because me too. like I if it if I was co designing with someone else that was less than me, I would be behaving the same way he does. Mm-hmm. But I've had to sort of tone mine down to offset his and sort of help help him let some stuff go. But then and there's been many cases where his obsession with something has actually yielded a better result than I would have come up with because I wasn't paying as much attention to something. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's go team. Yeah. Teamwork. <laughs> Absolutely. Teamwork. Now, have you guys ever run into a situation where one of you has wanted to shelf a game and be like, you know, I'm just kind of done with this project for a while. And the other one really wanted to keep working. Have you ever run into that? 
So we should say that the big score was our first dabbling in game design. We were like, man, it'd be really cool if there's a Ocean's Eleven, you know, board game. What would that feel like? Let's well, let's bat ideas well, around and cut to years later, and yeah. it's like it's it's becoming a, a strong game. We feel, and then we were like, wow, this that went really well. Let's however, let's try another one. However, the version that is in a box is in no way what the original version yeah. was. Right. And when we talk yeah. about tabling a design or shelving a design, right, there was a core element to that game that was absolutely thematic and was something I felt very, very significantly about in terms of it needing to be in the box. And it is not there. Mm-hmm. And that is 100% the result of Jason saying it shouldn't be. Saying no, no, Chase, that's not <laughs> but, allowed. But, but it wasn't just an idea. I mean, it was prototyped, it was play tested, yeah. it was part of the core design, and it was shelved way late in the process. And it just, basically, we, we watched more and more play testers play through it. And, and I was so blinded by, yes, this works, because I completely understand it, and it makes perfect sense to me. Right. And Jason was able to look at it and say, I don't like it. I know it's there, we designed it, and I was on board, and we went through that whole thing. But I'm looking back on it now. I'm watching people play it, and I don't like it. And we shelved a huge part of the game because yep. of that. Yeah. Um, and and quite frankly, and the reason you the reason I'm I'm correlating it to your question is because I'm trying to find out how we make that an expansion to add back in. Later. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. so I look at it. It is a separate design. It is a separate element, but it's not there because Jason didn't want it to be. But that was a process. I mean, and yeah. and. I remember calling him from Louisiana the first time I play tested it with a group without that element. And I said, it totally works. We don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) I said, the play testers loved it. They they had played it before and said, it's absolutely better without it. So he was absolutely right. But, but we shelved it. Yeah. We haven't shelved like entire games. You know, we haven't gotten like months down the road in a, in a game design and gone, ah, scrap it. Let's go on to a completely Mm -hmm. different theme and, and mechanics, whatever. But we have definitely let big chunks of the big score, for instance, go and let it evolve. And, uh, that, to, to Chase's credit, though, that was a that was a huge thing for him to be like, wait a minute, I thought this game was this. Mm-hmm. I thought it was this, like it incorporated this thing, and we have you know together found out that it it it's better in a different way, and uh, it's more fun. Yeah, and man, t- to to be able to to pivot like that, mm-hmm. I mean, well done, Chase or, or or anybody that can go to let you know you can't get so tied to something that it that it's not allowed yeah, to breathe absolutely. and become better. Yeah. So. Well, I think this, again, goes back to what we were talking about earlier with just the incredible value in having somebody else there to hold you accountable, to, to have fresh eyes or to look at it from a different angle. Absolutely. All great writers pretty much have great editors with them as well. I like guess not yeah. just the writing. You know, if you think about J.K. Rowling and, and her fifth book, I don't know if this is true. This is something I read a long time ago, but like that fifth book is enormous. And the article I read talked about how she had gotten so much power in that relationship between, with her and her editor that she kind of like didn't really take the edits that, that they suggested. And so that book got like really big and out of hand, had a lot of extra fluff and a lot of extra stuff in there. And as opposed to the other prior books where the editing was a lot stronger. And so you have to be careful in, in that kind of thing and, and really listen to other people and just the uh, value yeah. that having you know other people come alongside you and say, hey, this doesn't work. Yeah, we need to cut this out. Now, do you guys yeah. typically let playtesting decide those kinds of things? Just put it in front of the, you know, <laughs> both versions in front of a group and let them pick or what do you do? It, it's funny. Um, there's a, there's a, there's an entire component in this game that is the result of a playtester saying, you should do this this way. So, so yeah, playtesters have definitely guided sort of our decisions. You mean literally a component, like literally a physical a com- component. A physical component <laughs> yeah. that every player will have uh-huh. is the result of a, of a, of a playtester at Gen Con saying, yeah. you should do this instead of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but the, the playtesters, you know, when we get to that phase, we are, we are relatively confident in the design that we're not expecting to come away with playtesters making recommendations that are gonna gonna gravely change the design if, if they come back and say it, it wasn't as fun as i thought it was going to be we will definitely inquire why mm-hmm. um and we will take positive feedback and make sure that whatever it was they enjoyed is spotlighted 
and made sure that it that it's is is as much of in the game as it can be to to sort of maximize the fun. Um, but but yeah, I mean, playtesters play are there to to. Actually, it was funny when we we play tested. I call it that. We demoed the other night at a local convention, and and AJ was there from Van Ryder, and I said. I said, these play tests are going great. And he goes, these aren't play tests. These are demos. <laughs> it's, it's done. Right. And he, he was, you are not allowed to change this game. Yeah. Right. He, was, he was making, he was making sure that my mind stayed focused on this product is final. Yeah. Um, so, so hopefully all the feedback is good because if it's not, it's, it's too late to change it. Um, you know, but, but yeah, the, the play testing process is, is definitely something you have to be aware of, but, but make sure you're you're not going because because it can also be disheartening if you go into the playtesting process too soon, you can open yourself up to a, a a whole bunch of negative feedback because you presented a product that wasn't ready. Yeah. Um. You know that that's with anything in in business and in any professional career when you're you don't deliver a report to your boss that you haven't spell checked mm-hmm. because it's going to be more upsetting for them to hand it back to you <laughs> and say I didn't even get through reading it because all the words were misspelled. Right. Yeah. You, you get all of that stuff done and you get what you believe to be a final product that's ready for consumption and then you hand it to them. Um, don't sit down this this mishmash of ideas and, and if you ever design a game with Jason, you'll never be allowed to create a prototype that doesn't look like a final <laughs> game. But that's the whole point behind that is he he does not want to put something on the right. table that people might not con- that people might not confuse for an actual product. He, he wants them to feel like you know, and we play tested the other night and we got done and one of the playtesters said, I really wish there had been more theme. And we left out just because of timing three elements of the game and all three were the most thematic elements of the game. Mm-hmm. And that sucks because the the one thing we know they want mm-hmm. and we had completely planned, we had not finished. We were just sort of jumped the gun. Mm-hmm. So so you, you gotta be ready for that process and be ready for the feedback and make sure that, that you have a product that's um as close to final as you can so you don't you don't get your feelings hurt. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about your guys' playtesting process in a second, but before we get to that, what are some other drawbacks? Anything else that people need to know if they're thinking about co-designing? Anything just to be aware of? Maybe some things you didn't realize until you got into it, and it's like, wow, I wish I'd known that before. Any any kind of stuff like that? Man, I don't know. It's it's We've had such a... We've just enjoyed it so much. It's been, it's been, it's been, we've been fortunate. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think if you're somebody who has a game in mind and you want to realize that, that idea exactly how you want to do it, then you should do that and you should, you should make it exactly how you want it. Because if you start to, you know, go, well, I guess I should try this co-design thing and boy, you know, I've got this thing that's really close to really close to my heart. I want it to be a certain way. And then if you're really not ready to let that become, you know, common territory, uh, you know, you, you're probably going to head down a, a, a bad road because you're going to start letting things go that, you know, you're feeling like, oh, every, everything that I wanted to do with this is starting to change, change, change is bad, change is bad. If change is bad number one, designing a game is not for you. <laughs> and number two, designing with somebody else is not for you. But it is that change and the ability to say, even though I, I, you know, I love this one thing about this game so much, it's my favorite thing in the world, if you still aren't able to keep it in a category of, but hey, there could be something better. Yeah. So my mind is open. My mind is open. If you can't live in that headspace, then yeah, the, uh, the Dakota design thing is probably not going to work. Yeah, you, you can't get tunnel vision, or, or you you end up just you end up with a, a quality a, a less than than high quality product. Mm-hmm. If you get tunnel vision, you you don't you don't open yourself up to other ideas, and and you you end up missing out on opportunities. Um, and that's you know there there there's been there's definitely been times where where I have in my mind in that con, sort of conceptual phase where we're we're sort of individually in our in our own environments coming up with ideas and we're sort of writing stuff down. I will I will I will come up with something that I am so confident is awesome. And I will send it to him and I will expect I will expect a response that is equally as excited yeah. as mine my thought is. And he will respond, don't like it. 
Um, does it make sense? Not always. How, how, how Sometimes we, I'm like, that's amazing. My, actually, my, my favorite my favorite response, and this this sort of goes back to what I said earlier. My favorite response that I get from Jason when I send him stuff like that is I'll say, what if we did this? His response, how do we explain that thematically? <laughs> and I and yeah. I will I will sit there and I'll read it and I'll go, we can't. Never mind. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's and it's it's good. It's good. And that's that's something that I've learned throughout this process is my ideas aren't as great as I think they are. And, and if you, if you have one, absolutely go for it, but find yourself and, and look at, think about it this way. Don't call it a co-designer. Just call it, call it, think about it like your dedicated play tester and you're their dedicated play tester and yeah, everything they're coming up yeah. with is, is this person that, that is going to be honest with you. And the intent is not to hurt your feelings yeah. and the intent is to make a better product yeah. and you have that for each other. You, by the like, and that's what I said, by the time you get to the play testing phase, you've done that because everything you've come up with, you've bounced off another human being yeah. instead of just going into something cold. You know, I go to these conventions and I see these people set up play tests on, on tables and it's plain white cards with pencil writing on them. And they put up a sign that says, you know, I'll give a pack of cookies to anybody that will come play my game. Yeah. It's going, man, I, I, you know, that could be a long day. Yeah. That could be a long day for them. Find somebody to partner with that can be that dedicated play tester for you. Yeah. If you're, if you have never co-designed, you know, anybody out there, if you're a designer and haven't co-designed and you're, you, you think that, you know, it's not for you or maybe there's actually some anxiety. Maybe there's some social anxieties or something like that about, having to, you know, work closely with somebody, uh, you know, in a creative sense, uh, I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to try it. Even if it's just once, even if it's just like a buddy of yours mm -hmm. who designs and, you know, it's like, let's just, let's come up with a, you know, a 10 minute filler game just, just to do it. It doesn't, you know, the first thing we start with, it doesn't have to be a three hour, you know, four X builder. Let's just do a, you know, just to practice, like a little, you know, exercise, if you will. And I think you will find that you will have thoughts going through your brains. You know, the creative juices will flow in directions that they never have before. I'm a songwriter as well. And you would not believe the similarities between board game design and writing songs, specifically when co-writing or co-designing. Uh, it's the same exact stuff. It, it's 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 people first. You have to figure out how to work with a person. You have to you have to figure out how to be two human beings that can uh, work together in a in a manner that is healthy and productive, right? So there's there's figuring out how do we handle conflict and the things that we've been talking about, stuff like that. Um, but when you you know, and then there's there's the idea uh, when when you throw out an idea, it's it's so hard. At first, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this idea out there and he's going to hate it and it's going to be hard to hear. I don't like it. That's really hard to do at first. It's, it's hard to do for anyone in any sort of creative thing. We're human beings. We don't want to hear. I don't like that thing that you came up with. You know, it's, it's tough. But if you can if you can do that a couple times, let it hurt, keep moving through it after a while, that stuff doesn't bother you at all. And so then what you have left is this safe ground for just as I said, throw everything at the wall. And it's amazing how I will have an idea on something and it won't be uh, finalized at all. It's just a concept. It's just like, man, what about if, you know, we added this, you know, whatever to the game? I don't know what that idea is yet, but because it goes to Chase and he goes, ooh, and that makes me think of. So it's already gone from A to now B. And then when he spits it back to me, it makes me go, wow, I've never I did. That's that's my idea. But it now it just evolved. And now it's not in my head anymore. And so now I'm seeing that idea from a completely new angle, which makes me think of a C version of it. And it just starts this mutation thing that you cannot get on your own. And to me, that's the most valuable part of doing anything creatively with another person. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's talk about one more potential drawback and that's the money because you got to split the money and board games you're not exactly making bank anyway <laughs> and so like talk to me about that how, what that looks like not to get, not necessarily getting into details about your percentages and van riders pay nothing like that but talk to me about the contract phase 
you know, coming together to work because now it's two names signing at the on the bottom line, right? And yeah. so, like, talk to me about what that looks like and any advice you would give people who are maybe co-designing right now, want to get their game published, and just some things to be aware of, t- things to think about on that business side of things as co-designers. Yeah, so so here's my advice for anyone who is who is in looking to get into designing board games for money. Um, buy buy <laughs> land, <laughs> right. um, real estate, right? I think the first thing you need to do, whether you design by yourself or you design with another person, the very first meeting you need to have before you talk about the idea for your game is, are we in this for money? And if either person or you answer to yourself, yes, stop and walk away. Um, Because the fact that you're doing it for that reason will compromise your ideas. It will make you compromise your decisions. It will make you cut corners. It will make you pick a different publisher or go a different direction than you wanted to go, and you will end up with a product that you're not proud of, but you're proud of the check that you're receiving. Mm-hmm. And that cannot be the driving factor behind this. So for us, you know, being our first design, we didn't know even how that process worked. We, we had no clue. Therefore, we couldn't even set expectations in our mind, and quite frankly— the first conversation we ever had about a dollar was when we got the first draft of the contract in our hands <laughs> and we said, oh, okay, so this is how it works. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Whatever. Because that wasn't the, that wasn't yeah, the intent. We've, we've never cared about like the money aspect of it. We just, we, we've had such a good time creating something that, you know, we watched other people play test it and they're having a good time. And it's just like so rewarding that, you know, if we make money on something cool. Yeah. But I it's mean, never been, if, a, if uh, I make enough money to buy focus. myself a new game, I'm content. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just, that can't, that just can't be the reason when we, and then as far as the process goes, you know, we, we play tested with the publisher and, and going back to the comments I made earlier, just real quick. If anybody out there that wants to design by themselves thinks that that will be better because they won't have to design with another person, wait till you sign with a publisher and they then design your game for you. Yeah, it's it's an interesting aspect. And before we get to that, because that's interesting, I'll just say that the the money thing, I look at it as, you know, I said I'm a songwriter, I look at it the same way I look at, uh, I've written a bunch of songs with other people and there's been, you know, contracts and money generated from that and... I'm the type of person where I don't care whether if there's two of us in a room and like I had a really great day and man, I was just knocking out melodies like just crazy or like I was just, you know, these lyric ideas are just like really happening or in the game world, like, man, I had a great day where I came up with like a mechanism that's probably going to stick. It doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, Chase comes up with something awesome or I come up with something that works, it doesn't matter who, who made that. I look at it as at the end of the day, you, you, you made that thing. And I don't really care if it's like, well, technically, you know, he did 60% or I did 60% or whatever. I, I'm very happy to just say this is a collaborative process. And however, the meter went to the left or to the right, it doesn't really matter. So, I'm just very quick to say 50-50, And I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there who like to like to kind of, you know, do it differently. You know, they might feel like, well, I've spent 70% of the time, you know, uh, making this game. And so I'm, I, I'm entitled to more. Like, I have no interest in getting into anything like that. So that's that's how I view the whole money thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so the publisher bit, you know, we we presented the the first you know, we, we play tested with the with the designer or the publisher and they said, Yeah, okay, we like this, we don't like that, you know, make some make some changes, let's do it again. So we did that, we sort of went through that back and forth revisional process until we got to a product that that the the entire publishing company was was happy with. And then they said, Okay, we're interested in, in signing the product. Here's here's a first draft of a contract. We read it individually. You know, we talked about it on the phone and said, yep, I think it's good. Went and, you know, met with the publisher, signed the contract, and um, they took over at that point. And, and they've been nice enough to include us in the process as far as the, the art and graphic design and those things go, you know, as those things are going through. And they have been instrumental as we've gone through this process of making changes and edits. Um, we take it to a convention, and as I mentioned, the product that we signed the contract on 
is not the product that's being made and, and in a good way. You know, those component mm. changes that I mentioned were not in the original design that they signed. Um, there are, are the solitaire game did not exist when the game was signed. Uh, it, it's something that came after the addition of a sixth player was was something that we added after you know and it's just things that that you you still go through that process it's not like buying a car where once i sign on the dotted line i take this product home and it's mine it still evolves and mm-hmm. and so you have to be again if you're if you're not happy having someone critique your product and you don't want someone to call your baby ugly that may not be for you because a, a publisher is going to make a product that from a different angle than you are yeah. you know you know AJ and Evan want they want to make games that that they want to publish games that 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 tell a story that that gives somebody a unique experience and if they find out that something along the way needs to be done differently they will maybe suggest that they may change it that's their right as the publisher yeah. and so for anybody out there in design be prepared be prepared that if you if even if you're designing alone someone's going to come along eventually unless you're going to self publish that title and they're going to take control of it um, so but change is not bad. Change is not bad. That's correct. Change is not bad. Be ready right. for uh, thick yeah. skin. You know, have thick skin. Be ready to make changes. Right. And these people do this professionally. This is their job. This is their life. That's exactly right. Absolutely. This yeah. isn't. This- they're, they're, yeah. They're looking at markets. Yeah. They're looking at consumers. They're looking at distribution, and yeah. they're looking at things that. Yeah. You know, we we present ideas all the time that that Jason will send me something and say this is going to be the best idea I've had today, <laughs> and he'll send it over, and the publisher will respond and go no. Yep. That would never work because yeah. it's too expensive. in or, Germany they do it this or, way. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And it's you know we funny we had a the the a funny a funny thing with the big score. One of the the boss their bosses each each player sort of plays a, a boss in the game a crime boss and the artist wrote out these names for the bosses and sent them to us and we liked them and we made suggestions and this that and the other and one of the suggestions that was that was made we all loved it made perfect sense to us. And we sent it to him, and he's in another country. And the word that we chose means something completely different in that country, yeah. and we can't use it. Right. Um, and so it's it's interesting things like that that you know don't get tied to things because there's all kinds of circumstances that are out of your control. That that's a publisher's job is to make sure that that the game is marketable and makes sense and and will appeal to the most markets. Yeah, definitely. Now, any other advice going back to playtesting? Any other advice for people working with a co-design? And, and going through that play testing process, like, do you guys have some kind of system where one of you takes notes while the other one watches, you know, how people are experiencing the game? Like, do you have any kind of process for play testing? I have found that uh, Chase loves to play with play testers. Wouldn't you say that's true? That's true. Like, he, he play wants... or teach? What? Play or teach? Yeah, he he uh, he's a really good teacher, so I leave that to him. And he he likes to be all up in the mix and and playing and, and seeing what it feels like to play the game and to to be playing it with new players and you know people who just learned it and things like that. I enjoy that too, but I I find that I I'm I'm really detail oriented. I I I you know I I think I'm pretty observant. Like I, I will see things happen that um, maybe some other people don't see, and so I I love to just sit back and watch and and make no comments. And I just want to watch somebody read a card and and. And what's their expression or did they did they have to read it twice or did they smile after they read it or, you know, when they went to grab this component, did they look around for a place to put it or did they just know what it does because some graphic design element or something like that totally works and it just made it intuitive. So when you just sit there in the shadows and you not you know, not try to govern the play test and just sit back and, you know, not try to do everything for the players or, or when they pick something up and you can tell they're a little confused, you know, you don't want to just jump in and go, all right, well, now here's da 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 You want to kind of let it grind That's what I to, do. to a halt if it needs to because it that tells you where your problems are. And it's I just I really enjoy sitting back, fly on the wall. You know, it, my mind works in a, in a certain way where if I'm trying to play a game, it's hard for me to wear like a you know, let's make this game better hat at the same time while I'm trying to play because I'm playing and I'm just thinking about, oh, say what's my next turn and blah, blah, blah. So it's so much uh, better for me to, to watch. And yeah, I'll sit there with my laptop and I'll, and I'll see all these kinds of things happen and I'll be like, ah, 
that really worked. Let's capitalize on that. Ooh, that's a that's a weak spot. That was rough. Let's change that. So yeah, I got the laptop. <laughs> keeping all the notes. Yeah, observation is a great word um, for him to describe that. I I have exclusively done all of the teaching and all the play tests, and and Jason just flat out refuses because he's he knows his strength is exactly what he just described. A, a recent example, you know, or, or just an example in general is is I'll I will teach. Someone will ask a clarifying question about something. I will immediately just gut response, answer the question, and it's I forget that they asked. Yeah, and I want to know why did they behind ask. me, and he's writing notes that says, I need to make the rules very clear on this particular point because the way Chase described it is exactly as the rules describe it. Yet but why this is there person, a question? Yet this yeah. person didn't understand it. Right. And so that's, that's, again, why that dynamic between the two of us works so well yeah. is because our brains are completely aligned at different things. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and so it, it's, yeah, it's, it, there's definitely a process to that. And, and it's funny you asked that question because the roles for play testing for he and I are very binary. I am definitely always this, and he is definitely <laughs> always this. Right. Um, and it never blends. In fact, the other night we, we were doing those demos and I wanted to eat dinner and I'm shoveling pizza in my face and I'm motioning for him to teach the game. And he's just shaking his head. No, no, <laughs> no. He's like, I'm not doing it. And so I had to just you know, finish chewing really quick and stand up and teach the game um, because he was that adamant about, no, that's not my role and that's not what I'm good at. And that was the best thing. I mean, that, that was the best option. It was, I was just really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Tough it out, Chase. You'll eat later. <laughs> yeah. But like you said, you know, this is another place where being a co-design has a lot of value. And cause one of you Correct. can look in yeah. from one direction, the other from a different direction. All right. So yep. any kind of like closing advice, any closing thoughts to people maybe thinking about co-design or maybe they're right there in the middle of getting one started right now, anything, what would, what would you tell somebody in that situation? Go for it. Yes, do it. I mean, you it, will, you will not regret it. Even if you don't come out with a, a, a game, you might not finish a game. You might not even get, you know, 25% through something, but you will walk away better. You will walk away having, you know, realized things that you would have never thought of before. And it might be something that it, even if it was a fail, you will come back to just designing by yourself and have something there of value uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm sure that will, will have made it worth it. But the chances are so high that there's something really great waiting there for you. And you will find yourselves getting to you know, different parts of your brain that you would have never been able to get into before without being able to ping pong ideas back and forth, but with somebody else, it's just, it's really, it's a special thing when creativity is blended with someone else's creativity. It, you just, you get to things that you will never get to on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I believe that everybody should learn something new every day and, and any opportunity you have to learn something new and, and grow either professionally in some type of trade or skill or emotionally, socially, any kind of growth and, and, and maturity is a good thing. And and if if you are passionate about board games and you sit down and you play and you think, I could do this, I could design one of these, or at least I think I find the process enjoyable, go for it. Chances are by the end you'll have learned how to do graphic design. You'll mm. learn how to how to, you know, Use Photoshop a little bit. You'll learn how to talk to people. You'll learn how to walk up to a group of people you've never met and say, yeah, hey, I want you to play this game that I made. Which takes courage. Which takes courage. Lot. You so, will yeah. learn to be more thick-skinned than you were before. You'll learn how to take criticism. You'll learn about an industry. You'll learn more about this fantastic community of people. And when I you mean, have a co-designer, all that stuff is is half, you know, 50%. Yeah. Like it's not as difficult when yeah. you have somebody else like, I really don't want to do this. I'm feeling nervous about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. You know what I mean? It's it, just, it's so much it's easier. Just, to, it's to, such to a do big it. opportunity for you. If you find it something that you've ever thought about, it's such a good opportunity for you to grow and develop as a person and as a human being yeah. that I say, go for it. Even if your game never makes it to store shelves. Yeah. Yeah. And you made, you made me think of something. If you have never designed a game before, and you've always thought, oh man, I'd be it'd be really cool to design a game. I, I'd love to try that. I'd love to try that. I'd, I just don't know if I could do it. I don't. I don't know. I'm scared, or I, I'm intimidated by the process, or I don't know where to start. That is a perfect time to to pick somebody else who might be feeling the same way and start. Because if you know, it, it's a massive undertaking to design a game, 
uh, as as we all know, everyone that listens to this podcast knows what a what a huge thing it is to try to you know create something like this, and it can be daunting, especially your first time around. But to to be able to have a, a partner through that is it makes it so much easier, you know, because it's like well. We've run into a problem, and I, I would have no idea how to like get over this hurdle on my own. But because there's someone else to sit there and, and talk with and get like ideas and and kind of grind through it, you, you you do get through it. And so if it it would be a great way, I, I think, to to try design the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's essentially what I what I, what what I've done. Yeah, I've never Absolutely. designed a game before. Always thought it would be kind of cool. Kind of intimidated intimidated by it. And it, it's completely happened because of working with Chase. And now we have a game we're super proud of and that a lot of people seem to have a ton of fun playing. And we're already knee-deep into something that we, that we are really excited about and is, is a full-on, you know, like more of an epic, heavier-weight game. So it's just – you just got to get out there and do it. Going to yeah. try. Awesome. Well, gentlemen – Really appreciate you coming on the show. We're about to head over into a bonus round. We're going to talk about heist games. We're going to talk about what an Ocean's Eleven experience looks like in a board game. Uh, but real quick before we sign off, you guys have the big score up on Kickstarter right now. Give me the, the, the elevator pitch. Tell me about the game. Tell the listeners about the game real quick and what, uh, what all you're trying to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. So the big score by Van Ryder Games is a one to six player heist game that plays in 30 to 60 minutes. Um, So it's a purely competitive game where each player is represented by a different crime boss in a fictional city. And the goal is to ultimately take down this bank that that is is sort of holding the big score, this just massive amount of of money and artifacts and jewels and all these different things. But in order to do that, you have to go around town and, and force yourself to work with other people a little bit to take down these smaller heists. So while you're completely out for yourself and there's not a single cooperative element in the game, uh, at all, you have to sort of go out on these small jobs, hire hackers and drivers and muscle and con men to to rob these individual locations. And then while you're doing that, you're you're drafting these crew and your and your hand management and all these different mechanics. But then the game, just like a movie, and and the Ocean's Eleven piece was, we wanted it to feel like a movie. You you go from uh, a hand management and 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 uh, sort of drafting game, all the preparation, and, then, and it, all the prep, right? All the prep for the this montage. big job. Yep. Then it yeah. turns into a push-your-luck game where you're in the vault, you're stealing uh, everything you can out of the vault while the cops are getting closer and closer. And so you've got this impending threat of being arrested. And you may get out in time, and then it becomes whoever has the most money. But if you don't make it out of time and you get arrested, you only have the money you had from the first half of the game. So it's, it's, it's a ton of fun. Uh, feels just like that arc of a heist movie. Um, and like I said, one to six players, 30 to 60 minutes. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter. Good luck with Thank the you. other games you're working on together. And good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thanks, Thanks for having us. This was awesome. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?